0: Today's episode is sponsored by Liberty Language Services, here today to bring you a big announcement. Liberty Language Services is excited to announce the launch of its sister company, the Academy of Interpretation, an online education and learning platform for the language services industry. The AOI's mission is to expand access to educational courses while establishing a standard of quality and professionalism. The Academy of Interpretation was founded to address the widespread problem of untrained interpreters working in the field. The AOI offers professional accredited courses for interpreters and serves as a platform for organizations to refer their interpreters for training. The Academy of Interpretation is offering Brandy Interpreter listeners a 10% discount on all courses using the discount code AOI10BTI. This code cannot be combined with any other discounts, but check out the episode notes for more information about the Academy of Interpretation. Liberty Language Services is a woman and minority owned language services company that recently celebrated 10 years of providing language access services, and they're currently hiring freelance interpreters for a variety of languages. To find out more about Liberty or to apply, check out the episode notes. And welcome back to another year, 2022. Hello and another season, season four of Brand the Interpreter. This is Mireya, your host, and of course, as always, thrilled that you decided to join me today on the launch of season four of the podcast. Before I begin today's episode, I want to send a quick shout out to Diane that wrote really excellent interviews. They give you a lot of insight into the profession. She asks really excellent, insightful questions. The interviews help you understand the challenges in the field and give you a clear idea of what the day-to-day life is like for an interpreter. This is especially helpful for an outsider who wants to learn more about the field. Thanks. No, Diane, thank you really wholeheartedly for taking the time to sharing that review on Apple Podcasts. I very much appreciate it. And I also very much appreciate you, the listener today, for joining me and just being back for another season. Every time that I say that, I'm like amazed at the fact that I keep saying another season, like I'm still here. And so are you. So I'm so happy that we're here together sharing this space and that we get the opportunity to listen to another great guest today. And speaking of another great guest, let's get started. Jacqueline Guardamagna is an Argentine-British qualified translator based in London since 2004. Upon completion of a five-year BA degree course in translation from the National University of Cordoba, Jacqueline was awarded a scholarship to study academic English, cross-cultural communications, translation, and an international relations at the University of Westminster in the UK. Jacqueline founded Translator in London in 2008 to facilitate communications between English and Spanish speakers in the corporate, media, diplomatic, education, and sustainability sectors. With a certificate in translation for media from City University, Jacqueline worked as a translator and interpreter on live television at This Morning Show, ITV, ITN, RT, and as a subtitler for the documentary of Diego Maradona by Oscar-winning director Asif Kapadia. She has also offered consecutive interpreting in boardroom meetings between diplomats, CEOs, and vice chancellors of UK and Latin American universities. Since 2015, Jacqueline has been sharing her advice on good business practice to colleagues and newcomers to the profession through seminars, published articles, and written guidelines. She has been sitting at Celo Council since 2017 and served as a member and chair of the editorial board of the Linguist Journal for six years. In 2020, Jacqueline was featured as one of the LASO 100 female entrepreneurs in the campaign-led by. By F Entrepreneur UK, which highlights inspiring business leaders across the UK. Jacqueline is a practicing Catholic and a proud mom of two. So, without further ado, here's Jacqueline Guardamagna. Jacqueline welcome to the show how are you today hello Mireya I'm okay thank you how are you I am well thank you excited that you're here to talk a little bit about a very important topic life work balance here today but uh, we're not going to dive in just yet first I'd like for you to share with the guests where are you joining us from today I am based
1: in West London in um, the area where I live is Iling. Um, I've been living in the UK, I like actually moved here in 2004, even though my first time in the UK was 21 years ago in 2000 when I came to as a student um, at Westminster University. I'm originally from Argentina.
0: Oh, wow. And before we we hit the record button, we were talking about the weather, <laughs> not because we lacked conversation, but because you <laughs> happened to mention that it's summertime for you guys out there, but it's it's not very hot. Right. Um, this
1: year, we didn't have a very hot summer, unfortunately, um, but um, we always enjoyed having a rest uh during the holidays uh, a little bit of a break for the kids um and try to spend as much time outdoors as we can if it's not raining yeah <laughs> um, oh my gosh <laughs> we have beautiful go- uh, beautiful parks uh, amazing green spaces uh, so We try to make the most of that during the uh, July or August when days are longer, uh, because now when we are getting into autumn, you know, days are getting shorter. And
0: by December or January at four o'clock it's completely dark. Oh, wow. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I complain when it's like getting dark at six o'clock. So I can't (laughs) even imagine (laughs) four o'clock and it's dark. Well, Jacqueline, yes. I, of course, thank you so very much for joining us all the way out from London today. And I do want to go ahead and get started um, in learning a little bit more about you, the language professional, and then getting into uh, today's topic. So let's begin with a question that I begin with all of my guests, which is who did you aspire or what did you aspire to be when you grew up?
1: Well, I would say, uh, I answered to who did I aspire to be? Um, A person that was a role model for me was my grandmother. I used to spend every afternoon when I was a child in my granny's house. um, And she was a very extroverted woman. She loved people. She loved talking to everyone. And everyone also enjoyed going to visit her to her house because she always welcomed everyone with a smile. Um, She was a very optimistic person, a strong woman and um, hardworking woman as well. Um, And I have such good memories of her personality that I think that unconsciously um, I was observing her when she was surrounded by lots of visitors uh every time in in her house she had a, a, about 12 siblings and she was the eldest wow. and uh, every sunday all of them were waiting to go to her house to get together and to to meet each other and to talk about life and you know kind of uh, reflect about things and I was there playing around and I was listening to their conversations. And I feel like um, I really like to be like her, Mm -hmm. Uh, a simple, humble person, um, but also very strong, optimistic and and happy and a person that was enjoying life to the fullest, I believe.
0: That's so great. I think especially when you would see that she was surrounded by by joy, and that people were eager to be a part of that environment. And I'm sure that was a, a very warm feeling as a child. Where did you grow up, Jacqueline? I grew up in a very small village in
1: uh, Santa Fe province in Argentina. It's only a village of 5000 people. So I'm knew the community very well and i'm still in contact with lots of people from my community um, you know when you grow up in a small village or in a small town people tend to support each other so much and yeah. it's um yes it's nice it's uh you always feel safe around that place you can go and play on this st- well i i used to go and play on the street um Um, meet my friend, go to my friend's house without being scared or being afraid. And I had the sense of safety and of growing up in a free environment Uh, and feeling protected all the time as well, because I also, I grew up uh, in a caring family. And as I said, my grandmother had so many siblings, uh, so I had lots of cousins, not really um, from um, my dad's side or my mom's side, but cousins that were cousins of my dad. Uh, So it was, um, it was a really, uh, I have very happy memories of my childhood. I grew up in a very nice and as a contented child, I would say.
0: That's so wonderful. What memory do you have of this particular town in Argentina that's still very fond and present with you to this date do you recall
1: uh, yes yes um well one big thing that united the whole community in in this uh, village was that they decided to celebrate the italian immigrants that came to this to this town, um, the town is called Umberto Primo because it's Umberto the uh, first king of Italy, and so the whole community got uh, together to uh, start a feast every July, which is the winter in, in Argentina, and they decided to start cooking bagna cauda, which is a very typical sauce used in the north of Italy, in the Piamonte region, where all these um, Piamontese immigrants uh, came from. And um, they decided to do kind of a festival for people to get together, to eat the banya Cauda, and also to have a show. Um, <laughs> and that is some, something that... Um, it, it started when I was uh, about 14 years old. Um, I remember that all of my family were, in my, my, my dad, my, my uncle were involved in the organization. They were helping. Uh, and, and I think that every family in that village got together to collaborate in one way or another and to get united to make this a big festival. And that festival still continues nowadays. Nowadays, every July, they do have the Bania Cauda and lots of people from different areas of Argentina actually travel to to my hometown because they want to enjoy that uh, festival where both the Italian and the Argentine traditions are celebrated.
0: That is such a beautiful memory. I mean, to think that there's a town that thinks about celebrating their immigrant families that are coming in and just becoming a part Of now that community is beautiful, particularly in this day and age where everything is just uh, social injustices and social turmoils, and you know, everything that's happening out in the world to think that there's still parts of this world that are welcoming. Immigrants and becoming a tradition, you know, for other generations to come. I think that's a very beautiful memory. And I can definitely see why it's still very present in you. So thank you for sharing that memory, Jacqueline.
1: No, thank you. There's another thing that I haven't mentioned. It was that on uh, the first festival that we had, I was dressed up as an Italian, uh, traditional Italian lady with all my friends from. (laughs) <laughs> from my my closest friends from secondary school and where we were controlling that everyone that would come in we were checking them in into the into the club where the the <laughs> festival took place, so, and I still have a photograph of that so
0: oh, wow
1: <laughs> yes. So great. yes, so really really um, a nice a, a nice a nice moment, a moment of solidarity, uh, community work, uh, hard work, and actually love for spending time uh, for together as a family and as a community.
0: beautiful. Jacqueline, tell us a little bit about your world uh, in languages. When did that come about for you in a small town of only 5,000 people in Argentina? At what point did uh, the world of languages collide with your world?
1: (laughs) Since I was born, because... um My grandmother, the one I I just talked about, she used to speak Piamontes, which is a dialect from Italian, with all her siblings. And my other grandmother from my maternal side, she spoke Yiddish, um, Hebrew. And my grandfather from my maternal side spoke German. He was German actually. He was a German immigrant. So since I was very young, I was exposed to all these languages in my closest family. Um, and, And that I think made me very interested in learning how to communicate, how to be make to make communication possible. And not only about languages, but also because I was absorbing different cultural traditions. Right. Um, my mom was Jewish. My mom is Jewish and my dad was Catholic. So I also grew up in a family of differences where uh, love would join us. Mm. And um, also um my one of my grandfathers was deaf, and the other grandfather was blind. So there were also kind of disabilities in the family, and i also I always felt that, yes, it's important to communicate with everyone and to be able to to convey a message, even if there are any difficulties or even if we have differences.
0: That is so incredible. Like I can see why you very much appreciate your childhood. Like it was very, very well-rounded. It sounds like, you know, it sounds like you were exposed to different languages, exposed to people with different abilities, exposed to, I love that you say, uh, you know, we were a family with many differences, but love joined us. So at, that's so beautiful because, yeah, it just sounded like within your your home environment, but also externally, like in the community, right? Where in the town that you were a part of, also uh, very diverse. So if you were exposed to different languages and and um, different cultures within your own family. When did you pursue it? Uh, Let's say like in education, growing up in Argentina and in their school system, were you exposed to another language formally in education during your earlier years? Or did that come later for you?
1: (laughs) My mom pushed me to study English when I was eight years old. I didn't I wasn't very interested in English because I was learning piano at that time, and i also I already felt that I had uh, that to focus on. So I started um, going taking a private tuition for for English uh, in small in a small group in a small academy. but I even though I was a kind of a nerd in primary school because I really loved studying, didn't uh, like uh, English that much when when I started doing it. Uh, and I wasn't a very good student either. Um, then, um, as I started, uh, as I moved into secondary school, I uh, started taking lessons with a new teacher. And she was my inspiration for loving English and for and after I had her as a teacher, I decided to pursue a career in translation and interpreting uh, because, because of the way she was. She, she was amazing at teaching. She inspired me that passion for the language, for communicating, for London. Uh, so that's, that's how everything changed.
0: Now, when you say that she inspired your work in translation um, or in the language profession, just professionally, how did you go about that? Like, where, how did that happen? Because the learning of a language, uh, I feel, perhaps doesn't necessarily involve creating or producing it in another language, right? Or material in another language. So how did that come to be for you through this teacher?
1: My teacher mainly, you know, I think gave me confidence in Mm. when I was learning the language and when when I was um, doing the written exercises and spoken practice of of English. And I felt that I wanted to learn more and more, more of the vocabulary and more of, of, of the language and to be more proficient in speaking it. So um, what with what I was learning in the academy and with what I was learning at secondary school, I felt that uh, there was much more to explore. And that's mm-hmm. why that open, that gave me the curiosity and the interest to say, OK, I will have to do this as a university course, at, mm-hmm. to enroll in a university course uh, after I finished secondary school. and and really get serious about studying as much as I can about translation. And Well, of course, at that time, I had to move out of my little village because there Mm -hmm. were no uh, language uh, faculties or universities for languages in there. And I decided to go to Córdoba eh, in the center of Argentina Córdoba is uh, the second is one of the biggest university cities in Argentina and the school of languages was very popular uh, and well known in the country because of the demands uh, it, and the level seemed to be quite high so at 17 when I was 17 years old uh, I started inquiring about uh, what I needed to get into the university to to join The School of Languages in Cordoba. I remember I got a a brochure with uh, with information, and I felt like so excited about exploring (laughs) the big city and and going moving out of my little small hometown, and yes, going into an adventure. I would say because um, it's a big change, you know, when you live in a very small village and then you have to move out uh you are not going to be with your parents anymore and then it's like mainly you on your own having to make decisions independently
0: and yes facing yeah.
1: what the world is like
0: <laughs> yeah we say we say over here like you start adulting like uh, as a <laughs> verb right like all of a sudden you go from <laughs> like, from a child to yes. you know doing adult things as if you know what you're doing <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's a really good word because I remember one day I I, I, I specifically I don't remember exactly what it was but I had to make a decision about something you know I was renting a flat I don't know if it was the landlord that called me to uh, fix a problem in the flat I don't remember exactly what it was but I I. I felt like so, oh, my mom is not here. My dad is not here. I don't know what to do. And I felt like that was such a challenge just to make a decision, you know? But I think that that, something that when you are a child, you don't realize because it's like parents mainly make decisions for you. But then, um, and that's something that sometimes I question myself because I do quite a lot with my own children. You know, I feel like, oh, I should leave them alone to, for them to decide. But <laughs> 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 uh, uh, but yes, I remember exactly that moment that it was a challenge for me to decide uh. Hmm, what shall I do right now? Shall I call my mom and ask her what I should do?
0: <laughs> I'm curious, you know, you go, you take this big jump from small town to big city in pursuit of, you know, your big dream of beginning the school of language out in Cordoba. And so, once you start this journey, was it everything that you expected, or did you feel like, "Huh, this this was more or less"? Or what was the experience once you started your schooling?
1: It was excellent. It was fantastic. I I loved it, and I felt so brave because um, when I was in my small village, I always felt I was very shy and timid, and I didn't speak much. And I I was a quiet, quiet uh, of all my friends, among all my friends. Uh, but in terms of schooling, I was always brave and I always would raise my hand and uh, <laughs> answer questions when the teachers were asking. So I remember being in this huge classroom. Uh, One of the first lessons that we had, it was a grammar lesson for English grammar lesson. And everybody were talking about this teacher and they, they, they said that he was a very strict teacher and that nobody would dare to say anything in his classroom. Uh, and I was sitting there at in at the front, <laughs> of course, <laughs> and he would ask a question, and then I would raise my hand and answer the question among all the people that i didn't know <laughs> and I felt like really brave i felt a sense of achievement and yes, it was an accelerating kind of feeling so and then Wonderful. I made good friends in in there, and I'm still in contact with colleagues from that graduated from this from the School of Languages, and that are lifelong friends right now, and they're really uh, working so well as translators uh, uh, back in Argentina or in other parts of the world. That it was uh, a really really good experience.
0: Good. Oh my gosh. Yes, that's so great. I think that uh, it's the same for many other uh, guests that I've had in the show, particularly if they go abroad for their studies. um, They just have these very, very fond memories of their time abroad, you know, in in their studies, in their translation studies. So, I'd like to get into now, Jacqueline, uh, bringing us to present day. So you go through your studies, you finish your courses. Uh, What do you specialize in currently?
1: Yes. Um, uh, May I add something in relation to, to what we talked about previously as well? When I finished the School of Languages, I got a scholarship to come over London. So that's how I ended up moving to London as well. That's the connection with my life here. Um when I when I started freelancing I did a course in translation for media And I've been working quite a lot in media and with film production companies. So that's one of the areas that at the moment I am focusing on and uh, I'm working quite a lot with film production companies that are based in the UK but had a certain connection with Latin America or with Argentina. For example, recently, Mm I've been working with a director, and, and this is uh, this uh, is something that, re- that right now is taking place because of how COVID made things to develop a kind of hybrid word, uh, right. way of working. Yeah. Um, I uh, uh, w- what happened uh, recently was that uh, uh, I was invited to to interpret for a director that is based in London. So I went to his studio here in London, but the whole the whole filming crew was in Argentina, and they were filming uh, an interview in Argentina. So I was interpreting for the director through Zoom. And the filming crew. After I did the interpreting, of course, the the, the recorded uh, video, then I needed the the subtitles as well. So I've been working on the subtitles. And uh, yes, it's a f- fascinating type of, of, of work. And also it's connected to another area that I'm passionate about, which is sustainability. Because this Top, the topics that were discussed in the interview were mainly about um, sustainable projects and uh, development of uh, a new type of well I cannot say much about the, the, the,
0: the project the right <laughs> project itself
1: but yeah. yes um, mainly related to green uh, renewable energy Ugh, I need help. I'm scrambling to find interpreters for our board meeting. We have a staffed Spanish interpreter, but we need Korean, Farsi, and Arabic. Plus, we have a slew of IEP meetings coming up, most of them in exotic languages. I'm calling everywhere.
0: I know what we need. I'm at the perfect translation agency at OCDE's Interpreters and Translators Conference, Certified Interpreting Services. They offer in-person and virtual services.
1: Certified Interpreting Services?
0: Yes. They're professional, warm, and perfect for our diverse districts' needs.
1: How do we contact them?
0: Call or email. It's all on their website. Cisinterpreters.com.
1: Cisinterpreters.com. That's just what we need. I'm contacting them now. Thank you for calling Certified Interpreting Services. This is Jasmine.
0: So let me make the connection. You, you said that you did your studies in Cordoba for the School of Language, and then you mentioned that you got a scholarship. What was the scholarship for?
1: Yes, when I finished my course in translation, um, I also was helping in the School of Languages as a lecturer assistant in interpreting. And I was also doing some subjects to finish a course in, as a professor of English. Uh, at that time, there was an opportunity to apply for a scholarship to come to London to study at Westminster University. And one of my dreams was always to go abroad and to and to study abroad. I, I, I never imagined that that would be something that I would be able to achieve. Coming from where I come from, a small town, as I said before, from a small village, a rural area, kind of. Right, right. So I thought... Okay why not try and apply for for this scholarship because i already had uh, my degree and i was taking a kind of a more relaxed approach to the other subjects that i was doing and i thought actually going to london would make would help me much more with whatever i pursue in my career as a translator so i had to fill in a form explaining why i was interested in Doing the or taking on that experience and why, how then I would be able to contribute back to the University of Cordoba if I get the the chance of coming to London. And then I had an interview with a teacher from the University of Westminster who traveled to Argentina. And a few days after the interview, I was told that I was chosen, and I couldn't believe it. I was over the moon, but I was so determined that I would do it because the scholarship was mainly for choosing whatever modules I wanted at the University of Westminster. But then I had to um, afford and pay for uh, my accommodation and for the flights and for staying in the UK um, for at least six years. Wow. So yes, it's I was lucky, I'd say, because the previous year before finishing my course at university, I, I, I worked as a bilingual school teacher in Argentina and I saved a lot. And actually with my savings, I had enough money to, to pay for the tickets for the flights. Um, And then the whole community, of course, in my hometown, (laughs) uh, found out about this. And lots of people uh, wanted to help me as well. Uh, There was a lady that um, even lent me her suitcase. (laughs) And um, so in September in the year 2000, 2000, yes, I was flying for the first time in my life
0: (laughs) because I
1: was never on an airplane before. Um, I was flying for the first time in my life to to London. And before coming over here, I got in contact with Visit Britain, which is the travel agency or, or an official provider of information about the uh, United Kingdom. And I was surprised by the amount of information that they sent me. Of course, everything printed because at that time, I just had to start my email account from an internet cafe. I didn't have a computer at home. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I went to the internet cafe. I, 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 I started communicating with the university through emails. And uh, I received all the information about the UK in uh, different printed brochures. I did my research that way. Then when I arrived to Heathrow, I had a phone number about a hostel that I wanted to approach. And uh, they said that there was no need to book, that I, I could come straight away. So... I spent about three hours around Heathrow trying to find the right bus that would take me to the hostel. But I was breathing the air in the UK and I was I couldn't believe, I couldn't believe that I was, I was here. That you were here. <laughs> oh my goodness, yes, it was so strange. Uh Well, it it was such a a, a kind of rebirth. It was being born again. I'm telling you that it was so, so, so amazing. Um, So, yes, I took the bus, and the bus driver was really polite, and I managed to get to the corner of Russell Square. I remember. And he said, Okay, you come, you. You can uh, get off now and walk straight on that road. You will find the hostel. <laughs> and that's what I did. And I found the hostel. <laughs> and it was in front of the British Museum. Oh, wow. And I was, uh, yes, I couldn't believe. Uh, yeah. And that's how my my first few days in London started. And then I, I, I went to, the, to university and I chose the courses that I wanted to do. I studied. I met my tutor, who was the person who that uh, who interviewed me uh, back in Argentina. And I I did uh, academic English, cross cultural communications, um, translation, and international relations and um, theory and practice of teaching foreign languages.
0: I think that you bring us to a very important point uh, where we're going to transition into our main theme for today's episode, which has to do with uh, life-work balance. And one of the things that um, I'd like to now get into is you start your career or rather your school career in a completely new place, right? I mean, you had already sort of had already done that out in Cordoba, right? When you left your small town for a big city, but now you completely leave the country, completely new, start brand new in a completely new country, in a completely new place. And you have to begin your transition into the professional transition. How did you go about even beginning your journey into that? I'm curious to know, you know, um, how your professional work began.
1: Yes, my daughter was born in 2007. Um, I decided that she would be my priority in my life, right? Um, And at that time, I was working as I I was working in a college in Northwest London, full-time as an employee. So even though now and then I was doing translations, it was nothing formal or official, and it wasn't my main activity or my main role. So that's why I thought after my daughter was born that I would go into freelancing and I would start using that degree that was filed somewhere in a corner of a cupboard in in my place. So what I did was to work on my CV, think about different skills that I acquired by being an employee in different environments. Because all those transferable skills, I think, were very valuable when I was thinking about translation. I worked in the education sector, in the hospitality sector. I traveled all around Europe for about three months and I met lots of people. So that's also something that I had to mention in in my CV. And I decided to start contacting... um, different agencies, different translation agencies to offer my services. And that's how I started uh, the, this new approach to translating uh, my my business and my freelancing career in translation.
0: Yeah. And it's it's funny because like I, I tend to uh, tell the guests when prior guests when they're here, too, is like uh, when we think back about our stories and then we uh, recount them and say, um, you know, this is this is sort of what happened. It sounds very like a very uh, point A to point B approach, right? Like uh, I did this, and then I did that, and then this <gasps> this ended up happening. But in fact, we know that is that is really not how things happen. You squeezed in there real quick that in two thousand and seven, you, you know, you had your daughter, right? And so you're already with a family by this point at in a new place, you know, but perhaps by then not so new, but it it was still new, relatively speaking, and you're going to start launching a new career, right, which is now freelancing out in uh, this new area that you you're at. How did motherhood change your approaches? Because you still wanted that professional career, right? You were still pursuing those professional goals. But now there was a new dynamic in your life, which is your daughter. So how did you approach motherhood and your professional career? Um, From my heart. I approach
1: everything by looking within my personal interests and trying to be not so much influenced about the pressures of society. Um, I was reflecting on who needed me and what did I want. I wanted to be present for my daughter in crucial moments of her life, but I also wanted to develop myself as a professional. I w- I didn't want us to um, to leave my career behind. So I thought I have to to be focusing on both my daughter and my career in one way or another. And people talk about work life balance, but I think it's. Um, I don't know if we if we can call it balance because sometimes it's really chaotic <laughs> and very stressful. But I think it's life. It's life is work is part of of life if you are doing something that fulfills you that you enjoy that much. So even though sometimes we feel that that there's a kind of a pressure that we need to achieve something or do something or go to move on to the next stage or get that job or work with that client, um, the enjoyment of doing what we love is so fulfilling. And for me, that was my time off when I had that little moment when my daughter was not uh, demanding something from from me, because being a mother is very demanding, and sometimes certain people, I think, cope better by going to work full time rather than staying with their babies or their toddlers all day long in the house. So it's depends on what you want, depends on what you feel and how you feel. And I'm really glad that I made that decision because my daughter now is 14 years old. And I look back at the pictures when she was a little child and I remember being there for her sports day and cheering for her to win the race and collecting her from school and listening to any stories that she had about the day of school going so well or going well and helping during the school events and also gradually and slowly learning more about how to become a better professional and and to grow as a freelancer, as a translator and interpreter.
0: Jacqueline, what would you say has been your biggest challenge during your professional career and what do you think it taught you?
1: I would say that the biggest challenge for me was the feeling of loneliness that I had at the beginning when I started freelancing. Um, right now, I think it's we are much more connected uh, in every sense uh, with social media and uh, we are parts of communities. And But when I started freelancing and uh, after having my child, I felt uh, very much uh, kind of lonely at times and responsible for all the decisions uh, that I had to take as well. All aspects of managing a business are kind of overwhelming at times. And doing that on top of uh, being responsible for a family, uh, I think was a big, big challenge. And that's why I ended up volunteering and getting into different organizations to be able to socialize more um, and it paid off and I started connecting with more people again uh, because well I mentioned that I came to London first in the year 2000 but that was only for one year when I did my scholarship and then I went back to Argentina and I came back to move And settled in London in 2004. And when I moved to in 2004, I was mainly working full time. So it was a different dynamics uh, from working full time to being on my own with a young baby and trying to start a business. I felt that that was a a challenge in terms of uh, socializing and not being able to connect with people and talking adult language.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And I think you bring up an excellent point in addition to obviously figuring out how to create some sort of balance, you know, between between the two, because it's it's basically two things you love. Right. Obviously, the love for for one's child, but then also the love for uh, the career. And so trying to, you know, find how you can do both is it, a, a challenge in itself, if not many, but this, this notion of, uh, loneliness, uh, while you are busy trying to, you know, make money or trying to bring in the business and trying to be there, you know, for your child as well, I think is something that is not always spoken about, um, in any, in any industry, right. Like it uh, just in general. Um, mm-hmm. but, Particularly, I think, in this industry where as a freelancer, uh, you're doing much of the work on your own and you're juggling many aspects on your own. And so when you talk about reaching out to others or connecting with others and beginning to network, what would you recommend would be a way in which you can branch out and do this? How did you do that in the area that you were in? I imagine you had some connections, but how were you able to actually get out there and become kind of like? grandma, right? In the beginning and being able to make connections within the the community. How did you do that?
1: Um, Generally, because I have a very uh, big interest for helping others. And I think that our profession is about that, right? It's about helping people to communicate or to achieve something through communication. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes in my case, in my personal case, when I Um, was thinking about, okay, what I'm going to do to connect with other people or who I'm going to connect with, I was thinking, okay, is there a need for me to step in and to do something that is valuable, that can contribute to an organization or, or a charity? And that's how I ended up volunteering, as I said. Volunteering was the step forward. And I first, in 2012, we had the Olympic Games here in London. And the mayor of London was asking for volunteers to be London ambassadors. And I thought, yes, I would love to be a London ambassador because I love London. And London was the city that welcomed me when I first uh, travelled abroad. So I applied for for the, the training programme and... Um, Yes, I got a place as a London ambassador, and I ended up helping during the Olympics to welcome people that were coming from abroad and working with another, uh, within a team of other ambassadors in the summer of 2012. And um, I was also invited to to be during the opening ceremony of the London Olympics rehearsal, which was fantastic <laughs> experience, yeah. uh, once in a lifetime experience. Um, and then I also helped in an organisation of Argentinian professionals here in the UK that works with charity projects in Latin America Uh, solidarity projects in Latin America, and I met an amazing group of of professionals that are now friends as well, uh, that joined efforts in trying to fund, uh, to do fundraising for very, um, very good projects that are um, chosen every year in, in Argentina for people in need. So In addition to networking, I felt that I was doing something that was useful for society. Um, And lastly, uh, I joined the Tartar Institute of Linguists, which is a professional organization here that mainly sets the standards for translation and interpreting and for all the language professions. And I joined as a member. Then I was a volunteer as a member of the editorial board of their journal, The Linguist. And I chaired the Linguist uh, Editorial Board until June this year. And um, being in the environment where the language professions develops and the uh, standards are set, uh, was uh, not only an opportunity for uh, meeting other people with this, within the same field and the same interest, but a, a great chance of learning and growing within the profession, I would say.
0: Definitely. I love that. We've spoken about it here in the past where um, I had a couple of guests on the show that recommended strategic volunteering, which sounds like exactly what you were doing, um, really focusing in on uh, the question of who is in need of my type of help, right? So you really position that question in which um, you could align the need with your skill sets and be able to, uh, in a way, broaden them, even if it was, you know, um, not necessarily direct directly involved with the language, but somehow still correlated where it can help expand. Um, I love how you talked about networking and that strategic volunteering. And of course, the professional organizations, because all of those combined, you can see how it is about broadening your, your connections, broadening your network in order to be able to provide or connect rather with with others and the needs that would really bring you closer to being able to provide your service. So that's so great. It's a great example of what networks can do for you, where it's not necessarily with the thought process of who can help me. The Mm -hmm. networks, you know, it begins with, you know, how can I help them? And then the, the who can help me comes as a byproduct, as a result of the way in which, you know, you're offering your assistance. So yeah, that's, I think that that is so great. It's, it's a, it's a beautiful way of being able to make connections and sharing resources, but also enjoying the process too. I think Um, when you're very strategic, such as the way you were, I think you're, there's more of a connection with your actions as opposed to trying to do anything and everything in order to bring in the work. So so thank you for sharing that, Jacqueline. I want to transition now into uh, some recommendations now that you have spoken about some of the stuff that you've done coming in from uh, the angle of a completely new beginning on a couple of occasions, right? Like uh, with the moving into new areas or new environments, what would be a recommendation or recommendations that you would give to others that. Uh, have a similar journey such as yours or that are maybe afraid of taking that extra step into the unknown into perhaps a world that they they don't really know what lies ahead what would you mm. recommend for them
1: first i would recommend that they have to be brave um, because if they want to be entrepreneurs or if they want to run a business, you have to take risks, right? Um, if you are concerned about what's going to happen, then that will stop you from doing whatever you like to do. You first need to think about what you want to do. And if something goes wrong, then you can choose something else or you can try something else. But at least you can feel assured that you tried and that you didn't abandon a desire or a dream just because of fear. So... I think that being brave in business is very important. Another important um, piece of advice that I would give you is to always search within your own priorities and think about what is what you want. At that stage of your life, what is important for you? Something that really make makes you feel stronger about a cer- certain dream or whatever you like in life that moves you towards action. Uh, focus on your priorities and understanding what it is that you need in your life at a particular moment in time, a particular stage of your life, because your priorities will be changing as you grow older. And you need to make sure that you focus on what's that your soul needs, what's that your heart wants, and what makes you happy. And I think that if you're not so much influenced by external or social pressure, then we all Will be able to live in a happier and more fulfilled environment, I believe. So I think that at the moment, and currently, well, and it's always happened that there is lots of pressure and imposed in different ways to to all of us through media through social networks so in different ways and it's sometimes very difficult to avoid that influence and sometimes because we or we are influenced by the external sources we forget about what we really want mm. as individuals So, yes, I think that that's the most important thing. Thank you.
0: Yes. Yes, Thank you. Thank you, Jacqueline. Thank you so much for sharing that. I think that those are things that we don't necessarily always think about because uh, we tend to be more focused on the go, go, go and the everyday life, right? And in uh, just the rhythm of life, which is basically depending on where you live, but most uh, for most, the rhythm of life is super fast, right? And yes. so, on a daily, we just we just go without pausing, really, to listen, to tune in, to really think about what is it that we're really wanting. Is it really the direction in which we want to take? And unfortunately, sometimes we might not listen to those whispers that we do get that maybe it's time to reroute and take a different direction and so yeah. there's missed opportunities when we don't pause we're getting close to the conclusion of today's episode Jacquelina, but before we go i'd like for you to share if you would please where our listeners can find out more about you and the work that you do
1: um yes uh, i am on social media all um and my website is www.translatorinlondon.com so If you visit my website, you will have access to my Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, and I would be very happy to connect with anyone who is listening to this podcast today. And I'm also on Facebook as Spanish Translator London. So very happy to connect with everyone. And I hope something of what I said is useful to some of the listeners.
0: I'm sure that there's lots of information that will be useful to our listeners after today's episode, Jacqueline. I want to thank you once again for the opportunity to share your story on this platform. Thank you for making the time to joining me today and I look forward to publishing your episode and sharing your story. Thanks, Jacqueline.
1: Thank you, Mireya. Thank you
0: for the opportunity of
1: uh, that you've given us. All translators and interpreters and, and everyone in the profession of having this podcast about what's beyond the professional and understanding most of our life stories. So I really think that the job that you're doing is great and I appreciate being a guest in
0: your show. If you enjoyed today's episode, please take a moment to rate and review the show. Don't forget to share the episode with a colleague as well. That's all I have for you today. Thanks again for tuning in on the podcast that brings you your stories about our profession. Brand the Interpreter. Till next time. Hey, thanks for sticking around till the very end. If you'd like to connect with me, head on over to the website, brandtheinterpreter.com and click on the connect with me tab. You can also stay connected on social media, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube as Brand the Interpreter or Mireya Perez on LinkedIn. Till next time.